welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survive. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. Uh, so this is going to be a podcast that's going to take us through thrilling stories of survival from natural disasters to nature to true crime survivors. Uh, what else do you got? Accidents. Accidents. You know, <laughs> yeah. Farm equipment. Misfiring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So now this is something that I've really been interested in for a long time. What exactly sets us apart and what makes us a survivor, that kind of inner strength uh, that comes Mm -hmm. from within Mm -hmm. to take action instead of just like sitting idly by um, that like deep, primal, fundamental nature that picks us up and pushes us forward, no matter kind of what the circumstances are. So, I mean, what is it for you for survival? Uh, fight or flight is, oh, is, yeah. is what the word, you know, what a lot of people refer to it as. Uh, you're being brought to a metaphorical and maybe sometimes literal cliff, and you're having to make a decision to push ahead, even though everything else, if you were sitting down having a rational conversation with yourself, everything is telling you, don't do this. No, 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 it's a bad idea. It's going to hurt. You can't do it, whatever. And then on the other side, you've got the other voice like, you'll die if you don't do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that even takes me to think about the people, everything's on fire, and they have the choice to right. jump, Yeah. you know, from yeah. the second story or their balcony right. to safety with their kids and things. I was thinking about that in regards to, like, the, the, the September 11 attacks on the Twin Towers, you know. We... As random people can look at the people in the, those towers and say, why would they jump? That's crazy. You know they'll die if they jump. It's 40 feet tall. They're, you, you can't possibly survive that. But they are put in a situation in which, yeah, all of that is true. But on behind door number two, there's something scarier to them in their minds at that time. Yeah. That make them pick the choices. That You're right. Make. And we don't know. We don't know what they were we, going through. Yeah, were we thinking. don't know we what their thought them. process was. or And even with all these stories. Yeah. You know, we, we can only hear the stories, but we don't know the true thought process and what we would do, right. too. How dare they cut off their limb? <laughs> oh, if we sip our tea or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know. But yeah, that's how, that's how I am, too, is you always think and put you, try to put yourself after you hear a survival story right. you try to put yourself in that situation and think what would i do right exactly. you know and there is some situations where i think i would be pretty good at survival but there are some situations i think i would just like faint you know or yeah. but i mean you know that's where that guttural like something comes up from us that instinct to just like hold on and survive and fight as much as you possibly can um that sets you know the kind of almost like victims apart from the survivors you right. know in in a strange sense to try to like take this into a more digestible idea it's almost like the surprise pop quiz and you know you got a terrible professor who says we've got a pop quiz today yeah and it's pass or fail <laughs> your entire you know classroom future. academic future <laughs> is going to depend on what you get on this pop quiz and Suddenly you go into a panic mode, like, oh, crap, what did I do to prepare for this? Uh, am I prepared for it? What do I got to do? And you start stretching that knowledge that you have and you start trying to relearn things on the fly to get, you know, t- to get a passing grade on it. Uh, I feel like in that regard, you never know when a survival situation is going to come upon you and or you find yourself in a survival situation and you have to just 
think on the fly. Are you prepared? Or did you practice anything for this? What skills apply to the situation? Yeah, How do you get exactly. out of it? What do you do to survive? Yeah, it's like you're going into that filing cabinet in your head. Trying to like that. Am I on fire? Yeah. No, I don't need that. Yeah, and thinking of all the internet searches you did beforehand. Like, run. No, don't run. Crawl up in a ball. Did no, I watch a movie yeah. with this? make yourself bigger. Yeah. Scream. You know, take your shirt off. I don't yeah. know. Scream. Yeah, there's so many different avenues that you think of, and yeah. it's like split second reactions. Absolutely. You know, but Absolutely. there was one story in particular. I wanted to research it, but I think it was just like such a small story, so it wouldn't be an episode. Mm. But there was one story in particular. There was an article just talking about survival, just as a whole. Right. And there was a plane they had not taken off just yet Mm -hmm. and one plane hit into another plane on the runway yes on the runway yes and there was a it created a big hole within the plane and it hit the one plane hit the fuselage so fire was coming yeah and People were waiting for instructions. They sat in their seats. Uh, they yeah. did not move. Yeah. And they they sat there waiting for instructions right. while a man took his wife. He saw what was going down. He saw the one plane hit the other plane, and it created a hole within the plane. Yeah. He took his wife and jumped, jumped out of the plane. Wow. So yeah. while these people were waiting for instructions, yeah. um, they... They all perished right in yep. the fire. It, it literally blew up. Th- that kind of touches on this an idea that when you as a passenger go onto a plane or on a bus or something like that, you kind of give up a little bit of control, uh, personal control, yeah, you're right. to the company that runs that plane. You know, you were putting your life in their hands and you were trusting them to Correct. do that. So Correct. when a company doesn't have any type of like fail-safe procedure of what to do, in this event, how do you talk to your to your passengers? You're, you know, it's kind of a failing on the company, and unfortunately, sometimes people die from it. Yes, well, it just even takes you back to all the way back to the Titanic. Yeah, you yeah. know, they didn't prepare for the worst. Classic example, right? Because yeah. they all decided, oh, this is the unsinkable ship. Yeah, and whoever sold them on that idea, right? You know, I mean, that's always been my life is I don't want to walk around like a victim and I want to be strong for myself and for my family and I want to make sure that we're all right no matter what and and it never bothers me to hurt somebody's feelings or anything like that if it's like life or death a life or death situation or it's getting me to the point where it could be life or death right do you understand like if we're driving down a road and I don't think it's a safe neighborhood or a safe place you know, I'm yeah. getting myself out of that situation. Right. Like, why put yourself in that situation, you know, right, and exactly. be a victim and things like that. Some of these stories, though, that I've seen, it's like taking, I don't know, going on adventures by yourself. That's yeah. a little weary to me. You know, maybe if I was like going on my own adventure or my right. own vacation, mm-hmm. I would probably go with a group. Yeah. I would still find a group to go with. Sure. You know, you get yeah. led by, maybe you go hiking, you get led by the person who knows the area and things like that. I don't know how people go by themselves. <laughs> I actually have a story like that in my collection. This guy, without spoiling it, this guy is a professional at what what he does. He's been doing it for, you know, 10, 12 years, whatever, and he has very accomplished in in that activity. 
And he goes out and he does it by himself, and he ends up in a really bad situation. And he admits after the fact, I normally leave a note. I normally tell people where I am, where I'm going to be, whatever. I didn't do it this time, and that's that's on me. I'm, now, do you tell people just in your normal life when you're going out and where you're going to be? Um, to a like degree, to let somebody know. You know, like you know, I live with my parents, and so like the same thing. When I leave the home, they're like, "Hey, where where are you going? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be at a friend's house. Yeah. Oh, are you back for dinner? I will be. You know, you have uh, you give them checkpoints, or you have a check, checkpoint. Checkpoints, yeah, exactly. expectations. Now, I have a question. Yeah. At what point would somebody be alerted that you're something is wrong? Would it be a day? Would it be two days? Yes, you personally. Are you trying to attack me or something? No, but I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a valid question. How long before someone thinks about you? Because um, us as a family, it's a family unit. You know, I have my husband and my two kids. Right. We are pretty close to each other, obviously. Yeah. You know, you think, like, if you went on vacation and you didn't come back, is somebody going to check on you? Right. I don't know. I mean, maybe his mom would check on us and, and eventually be worried. Right. Maybe his work would start calling around if he didn't show up to work. Right. I don't know, though. Yeah. What do you... What would be yours? In my personal case, I mean, I'm... Maybe a day. I, I think a day is about how long it'll take. Because, you know, my parents will... Uh, they keep a tab on me if I come home or not. <laughs> you know, yeah. so if I'm if I don't come home that day, they'll be like, "Huh, that's weird," and they'll check on yeah. me. Same thing. I, I have a you know, I, I communicate with my girlfriend daily. You know, good morning, yeah. good night. So she would be reason, alerted something's wrong. That's weird. We normally say hello, yeah, good exactly, night. You know? exactly. And then we get into the weekday, and I don't show up for work. You know, I'm, your work I'm, would I'm communicate. Very punctual. Yeah, reach out. Sure, but. I don't, maybe it would be a couple days till somebody would be like, maybe the neighbor across the street would notice we've been yeah. gone. There's, there's a neighbor yeah. who really watches out for everybody. So <laughs> maybe good. one of those guys. You yeah. give them cookies one day. You know? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you befriend this neighbor. Uh, so I'd like to start with the story of Kurt, who's a farmer from Nebraska who ends up getting himself caught in uh, some of his machinery and he has to find out how to get out of it. So, uh, this is the story of Kurt. It happened on April 26, 2019. So, this is just last year. Oh, wow. Okay. He's, he's, he was 63 years old at the time. Um, he's working on his farm in Nebraska to transfer a bin of grain into uh, a grain silo um, uh, or a grain bin. And, and he's using a, a grain auger when he stepped into it, forgetting that he had removed... What is a, a grain silo? auger? No. I'm, I'm not... A, I, I've been born and raised in California... I don't go near farms, so I have no clue. <laughs> I'm super glad you asked. Okay. So, like, uh, when, when you hear the word silo, you, pr- you probably have an image in your mind. Yeah, the right? big, those big things, and then they put the grain inside of it. R- right, right, right. So, okay. so, with a typical silo, it's kind of, you know, most people picture it, 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 it's, it's a long, uh, it's a tall cylindrical structure with, like, a dome on top. Yeah. And... and I always picture it red for whatever reason. <laughs> I always picture it white. I don't know. Okay, I've known those. So yeah. what a grain silo is, it's a little bit different from that. They're they're stouter. So they're they're not as tall, but they're much wider and they typically just get made out of like sheet metal. So they're they're super silverish typically and they're like maybe 3 or 4 stories tall. And uh, so that's what it what a grain silo looks like. What does it do? Um, it's a structure for a farmer to store their grain in until they can uh, sell the grain for a better price, you know, later on when they're out of season or whatever. Oh, like that. okay. Yeah, so it's this long-term storage structure. And 
there's a lot that go into them. It's not just a big old empty room that you just toss grain into and then close the door and never look at it again. There's also machinery inside because as you harvest the grain, uh, you have to take into account the moisture level of the grain. Some of them are going to be wetter than others, and if you throw it into a dark room, it's going to mold and rot. So you have to, like, stir it up kind of thing? It, there's a fan built at the bottom oh. of them that blows air up through to it. To keep it dry. And, and, keep it, and keeps it dry. But at the same time, to, for a farmer, when they sell it, they sell, I think, based off of volume. So if it gets dry, the grain uh, weighs less, and they get less money out of it when oh. they sell it. So there's this, you know, there's a little bit of a... a a biological game to it where you got to keep it fresh. Yeah. At the same time, you, you don't want to eat into your profit. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So, so, you know, they're, they're big structures and in order for you to get the grain inside of it, you use typically a, an, an auger that'll uh, uh, fill it from the top. Okay. Yeah, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get you what can't you're just saying. walk in and like empty yeah. out your pockets. <laughs> you know, you don't walk in with a bucket and like tuck it in there. Or, or you know, there's no windows in these things. So you have to fill it from the top like a water bottle. Okay. So, so what an auger is? It's, it's basically a drill. Uh, it's got like a spiral drill head, and, and in the case of a drill, it'll spin and cut into whatever you were drilling into. That's why the action is called to drill into something. What an auger does. Same exact thing. It spins, but instead it pushes things up the spiral as opposed to cutting into oh, okay. the material. Think of it almost like going down a, a spiral slide, I guess. Yeah, know, but in I reverse. Gotcha. You know? So what it is is I'm gonna, you know, for our listeners, they can watch me mind this. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you've got this big old uh, grain silo, a uh, grain bin, and you're filling it from the top. So there's this pipe that comes that connects from the top down to you at the floor level. And what you're doing is you're pouring your grain into this bin that catches it and feeds it into the auger spiral. Yeah, so gotcha. as it spins, it pushes all that grain up and it dumps it out the top. So from, from the videos I've seen, they usually have like almost like a wire guard screen on top to keep large objects from like randomly falling into it. Um, and unfortunately for Kurt, he modified his earlier the year before by taking that off to fit it onto something, and then he never put it back on. So safety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he he understands this. I mean, he's yeah, not like faulting the manufacturer. Like, How <laughs> yeah. dare they make this dangerous equipment? Yeah, he modified it. Yeah, and he was like super humble about it. Like here, I've got a quote here of him saying, "I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't think of fixing that thing or whatever." But that's why they call it accidents, I guess. <laughs> I stepped right in the damn thing. It grabbed a hold of me. I can remember I can remember seeing it start and I go, this ain't good. <laughs> and then when my foot was in there banging around, I was trying to hold my leg, pulling it out, and I said, This is not good. Like this like this guy is so chill about this. He realizes that as he steps into it and the auger catches his foot and it begins to grind into it and chew it and tear it apart. He's like, uh-oh, this is not good. I got to get out of this situation. So, uh, uh, where are we? Uh, he thought to call for for help, but he couldn't find his cell phone. Right? I don't know if he had it with me. If it fell in the auger and went in the bin, I don't know. But nobody has been able to find it since. <laughs> Soon the auger would chew into his, into his foot, ripping away his skin, his flesh, and his muscle until I got down to the bone. It, and all this, it, it's not taking him up. It's no, just 
it's ripping. Just, it's just it's pulling his leg into it, and, and he's, he's trying to yeah. He's trying to pull so it. So he's back. having yeah. a tug of war. Yeah, he's having with a tug machine. of war with his foot in a machine. You know, Jesus Christ! I felt it try to grab me again. I about gave up and said, "Whatever happens, happens. If it sucks me all the way, it's over with." <laughs> but then, all at once, I thought of my pocket knife. With no method to call for help and no one around to answer the call, Kurt thought to amputate his leg using this pocket knife. I dang near dropped it in the auger, he said. Once he had a good grip on it, he began sawing away at his leg about eight uh, eight inches below the knee. Finally, it let go and I got out. Adrenaline kicked in so much that I don't know if it hurt or not. So he finally gets out. He gets out by cutting his own leg off. And now he's bleeding out in this farm. Yeah. He doesn't have a phone on him because he's, you know, he's yeah. lost it. He's now got to get to help before he bleeds out. Now, does he have a vehicle? Because I know farms are huge, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, or does he have to, like, walk back? <laughs> the nearest phone was back at his, his shed office. I had to army crawl on my hands and knees and elbows and kind of drug my back. It was about 150 to 200 feet on rock and gravel and stuff and uh, get to a phone to make a phone call. So he's he's crawling with his, you know, Through nub. the field. Yeah, through, like, the road or the field, or the gravel and the did, rocks. Now, did he put a tourniquet on it there before? There was no mention of a tourniquet. Oh, so he's, my God. So he's probably just dragging his bloody, yeah, yeah. bloody leg. And he's it. probably in shock, I'm assuming. So oh, yeah. I don't know if you have the, the best thought process. I mean, yeah, you just think get to a phone. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, so he, he makes it to the shed and he ends up calling one of his sons, uh, who, who has 911 fly a medical helicopter out to pick him up and they fly him 90 miles to the nearest trauma center in Lincoln, Nebraska. I never lost consciousness until they put me out in Lincoln when they started operating on me. I sat up in the chopper and watched all the way to Lincoln. <laughs> like it was a fun little ride for him, right? I, I, I mean, I mean, like I, I totally get that because in some twisted way, you're probably telling yourself, "Don't go to sleep, don't relax." Yeah. you know, yeah. You, you, once you come down, you're right. You know, you're right. Um, <laughs> but you know, in a lot of survival situations, from what I've seen, yeah. it seems that they fight and fight and fight until the paramedics get there, and then they kind of let go because, like, yeah. they're in the proper you know, handling of, of everything. So they kind of let go of the fight in a sense and right. go to sleep or yeah. something. But man, he really did. He sleep really did. You know, and, and just to like cap off and how humble he, he has been about this, about his accident. Um, he, he goes to rehabilitation and he completes it. And as he's there, he's looking around at the other people going through their, their recoveries. And he says, I mean, they're in wheelchairs. They're not getting out of them. It could always be worse. I get a chance to be pretty close to normal. They don't, and I feel sorry for them. Even though he stepped into his own machine that he modified and then, you know, forgot to fix or, or address, and it chews through his shoe and his foot and the muscle and the bone, and he has to cut himself out of it using his pocket knife because he forgot where his cell phone was or he dropped it, uh, and then he crawls 150 to 200, uh, 200 feet over to the shed to call his son, who, you know, gets a helicopter out. They fly him to the trauma center. He's still kind of like, eh, it could always be worse. You know, I'm alive. What a great I'm guy, home. man, to think right? that. I know. Well, I mean, like, we don't we don't give farmers in, in, in our country as much respect as they deserve. They go through a lot of crap. And yeah. this is, like, 
from from what I've heard, um, for a farmer, being in a grain bin is probably the most dangerous part of their entire job, specifically because of augers like these. You know that it, catch things. Yeah, not only that, but if you were in the silo itself, it's a big, tall structure full of grain. Like that thing's constantly shifting around. I, I heard it was described sometimes like. Like quicksand. Quicksand, you, you yeah. Never be in one. They tell you like yeah. never get in it. If you unless you absolutely have to, only then should you get into it and only when it's empty. You know, and, and, and even some of the videos I've seen, they've got silos where they've got like um I guess it's another auger, but it's like a, a, a metal arm that spins along the bottom to basically scoop up the shift. grain. Oh, uh uh-huh. yeah, to shift it towards the center where there's like a like a dropout for it to, you know, go into a truck or something like that. And so there's there, in the video that I've seen, where a guy was exploring one of these with, with a farming friend of his, he was telling him, like, see, all the grain has been pushed to that side because the arm hasn't gotten to there yet. That's why we don't go anywhere near that freaking place. <laughs> Stay away from that. Watch the watch the metal bar. Don't get caught because if that hits you and you fall and then the grain shifts, you're going to get sucked into it. Then there's the, the, the auger at the middle, and you're, if you get oh caught by God. that... <laughs> So deep. <laughs> so what in what ended up happening to him? Did he have like rehabilitation? Or? Yeah, yeah. He went to rehabilitation. And he was able to um, basically get back up onto his foot. Yeah. So he had like a fake foot, probably for the other one. I'm assuming. I, I didn't hear it was under like the knee, that. or like eight inches um, under he, the knee. Yeah, eight inches below, below the knee. Eight inches below the knee. So he ends up cutting himself, probably right around there ish or something like that. You know, didn't mention. Uh, uh, Prosthesis. I don't know if I could do that. If if I was in a yeah. situation where I, it was, I mean, obviously it's life and death. You got the adrenaline rolling, so he probably just like you said, he didn't feel it, right. feel the pain. But I don't know if I could full on take a <laughs> knife out and like finish myself off. Right. No. I, 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 I think I would faint before that. I, I agree. Like I thought about this too, where um, you know, because I've got another story of someone who has to amputate themselves. And the idea of amputating yourself just sounds so terrifying to me. And it is and, not precise. Mm-hmm. And it's not, because, yeah. I mean, you're taking out a basic, it's not a surgical knife. It's a, it's a dull a knife. knife a, a yeah. Leatherman or a, a multi-tool, something yeah. like that. You know, they're only like, eh, big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but by the same token, uh, I think this kind of touches a little bit on my background and, and that, you know, for those who don't know me, um, uh, I have a degree in, in, in theater. I'm, I'm trained as an actor. I don't work as an actor, but I was trained as one. Um, <laughs> and and so, like, as an actor, you, you, you tend to play characters that you don't necessarily agree with. You know, someone has to play Adolf Hitler. Someone has yes. to play Benito Mussolini. Someone's got to play the bad guy or the wrong person or the this or the that or the, the terrible stepmom. You know, whatever. Um, and they're not, they're not evil stepmoms in real life, hopefully. Um, and so some questions that you might get as an actor from a non-actor would be like, oh, wow, I don't know how you can play that. I can't see myself doing that, you know? Yeah. Uh, if, uh, or, or, or some people talking about their characters like, oh, my character would never do such a thing, you know? You're taught not to avoid that kind of thinking. Don't think about what you wouldn't do. Rather, imagine the situation where you were forced to do that. Like... Yeah, you and I totally right. You know, someone might say like, "I can't see myself ever taking another person's life. I can't kill anybody." But if someone breaks into your home, given the right situation, yeah, 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 you're right. You got to get into that mindset, that zone. Yeah, you're totally right about that. Yeah, suddenly the scary, impossible thing. There's a bigger, scarier, more impossible thing, and you end up doing the first thing instead. 
Yeah. So like, yeah. so that, so that's basically what what Kurt had to go through. Is he realizes his foot's in there and it's pulling him into it. He can't pull his leg out of it despite him trying. And he even thinks like, this thing's gonna get me. You know, if it gets me, I'm gone for. Oh well. <laughs> but then he remembers like, wait, I have a fighting chance. I've got a pocket knife. Maybe if I just hack my foot off or saw it off, whatever, I can still live. And he just goes through it. And then he even tells you that he doesn't remember any of it hurting. You know, it's crazy. just the adrenaline kick. Yeah, the shock yeah, there. exactly. That <laughs> adrenaline is such a drug. It's a hell of a drug. Re- yeah, that really <laughs> does help us just overcome so many things. Even just in daily life, you oh, know, yeah. like when you're doing speeches and things like that. But adrenaline really is such a great thing to... Yeah, in those life and death situations, like help you come over things that you wouldn't normally just like hacking your own leg off. There's yeah. no way. I mean, but no, I'm sure each of us know that one person who, uh, whenever they get spooked, you know, someone like pops up, boo, and they go, ah! and like they get their, like their fist ready. <laughs> you know, they're not a fighter, but immediately they go into like a fist or something. Oh, yeah. why did you do that? The fight or flight, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's what I think is is what really puts a survivor in a different situation, like, than most. And I think a lot of times, like, you know, just researching all these stories, you hear about somebody who had to make um, a split-second decision. And it's crazy to me the amount of people, like, when somebody says fire, and it's kind of like people just stand still. Yeah. What are you doing? There's a fire. To what to do, because yeah. not everybody is doing it. Right. And then there's the doers and the survivors out there that are immediately, you know, falling into action yeah. and, you know, running out of the door. And uh, a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever heard that, um, but people will always run to the exit they came from. I don't know if you've heard of survival stories that like that. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. So there have been in history, maybe we'll touch on that too, where people have all ran to the one exit. I don't know yeah. if you heard about that one in particular, but it was like a club or something like that. Yeah. And people were stacked up, you know, and falling on top of each other and they were stuck and the, the exit was yeah. blocked with yeah. bodies and people. Bodies. And People didn't think to go to another exit. Right. Because that's where, you know, and everybody just, it's like a creature of habit, right? Right. You just do the same things over and over. That's specifically why when you go to like any type of theater or some type of show, uh, they're supposed to do some kind of pre-show announcement of like, you know, pay attention to the emergency exits to the left right behind you. Yeah. And it's um, it's touching on that. I remember looking into it a while ago. There was this great uh, Idaho theater fire. I think it was what it was called from like, I want to say uh, 18th century, but uh, uh, a couple hundred years ago, I think, uh, within a couple hundred years ago, where there was this live um, stage performance. And this is before any type of like um, fire awareness or fire safety standards were, were, were even conceived. And People were, like, blocking the emergency exits because um, they didn't want people sneaking in through them. They were covering up uh, emergency exit signs. Oh, no. They didn't want it to, like, distract from the show. Yeah. Um, They had, like, fire escapes that came down the roof, but they never got finished. So they just kind of like stopped halfway. Um, there was also this point where in the show they had like a they had like a, a wire for I, I think like a fairy had to like go mm-hmm. down a zip line or something. Yeah. 
and it ran. Oops, sorry. Uh, it, it ran from um, from where that actor was above the stage, off you know over the audience, down to the stage. And uh, typically, you know, in theaters, you're supposed to have what's called a fire curtain, and it's it's a curtain out of some kind of fire resistant material that, at the press of an emergency button, it's going to slam down, and that's to separate the audience from 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 the actors and stage technicians because they're the ones who know the space; they know where all of the exits. Yeah, are. and then the they can get out safely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it prevents the fire from reaching the audience. Right. You got to protect the audience. Yeah. They're the they're the panic little sheep. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> everyone else is the trained uh, trained professional, but they ran this wire down to the stage, and so when this fire ultimately happened, and they tried to drop that curtain, the wire kept the curtain from falling all the way, and so it starts. Uh, spreading into the audience, and there's also parts of like the roof collapsing, and a guy, one of the actors who's trying to take charge, everyone calm down, get out of the building, you know, and, and it's falling apart. And then not only that, but like the the way this building was designed, the doors swung in, so like as these crowds are trying to get out, Pushing. they can't get the door open yeah. because it's swinging in. Yeah, know? and it's just panic, and those... people are not oh. thinking right, and that's the scary thing to yeah. me. That's always the scary thing when, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm too nervous or, but I'm always constantly thinking, how do I get out? What, what is my strategy wherever I am? And, um, the yeah. idea that there's so many people that are going to be in my way <laughs> <laughs> because they're just, like you said, some people are just cheap and they're not survivors and, and they kind of want to get instructions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that really does, there are two different types of people, you know, and there are right. true survivors out there where they they think on their feet, they're quick, you right. know, and I, I don't know, is it street smarts? Maybe. Uh, I, I mean, okay, let's put it this way. I want to say it's people who are more exposed to situations in which they feel they need to survive it. They're probably constantly having to think about it. I mean, if you're living like hypothetically a very privileged life, very insulated from a lot of, you know, reality, we'll say. Yes. You you don't have to think about it. So you never exercise those thinking muscles to to think, how am I gonna get out of here? Can I break that window? Can I fit through that door? I have my kids with me, you know, will I save my pets when the fire comes? Yes. You're not thinking about stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, um I had something and then I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> You have so many thoughts going through each one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but there were some survivors. That's the point of this whole thing. Yeah. Is that there oh, are... Oh, I, go ahead. I remember what it was now. It, 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 uh, it's, I think it's along the same lines when you get on a plane uh, and they give you the safety instructions. Yeah. You know, the lecture, you know, oh, put on your inflatable vest. This is how you inflate it. It's going to be stored below you. You know, in, in, the, in the event of uh, depressurization... Oxygen masks are going to drop from the ceiling. And then they always tell you, get yours on first. Exactly. You Help save. yourself first. Yeah. If, if you don't save yourself, you can't save other people. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. if you can't save yourself, you're, someone else is going to have to come save you. And you just become a, 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 a burden victim. to them. Yeah, a, a victim. victim. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I don't want to be in life is a victim. I've right. always said that to, you know, my kids and to everybody. It's just, you know, you can't be a victim and feel sorry for yourself and yeah. you know you got to be strong and move on and things but yeah it does go into all aspects of our life like you touched on like about survival and things like that but yeah yeah you got to pick yourself up and and you 
got to find a way out, right. whether it be, you know, in a relationship, a bad relationship, um, whether it be in a bad situation, you know, where you're not being treated fairly, maybe at work even, mm-hmm. or in a life or death situation. Got to figure out a way to get out, yeah, you know? The principle is the same. Yeah. Yeah, it does go across all of it, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was, I was reading just recently about a survival um, out of a book and um, it, it touched on that, like how, you know, survival is in all aspects of our life and yeah. stuff. And whether we realize it or not. Whether, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, all right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for, for our podcast <laughs> for the first episode. Okay. If you would like to send us your stories, I'm really interested in your own survival stories. I would love to put a podcast together or an episode together just talking about your stories. Uh, you could send it to info at theyactuallysurvived.com. We also have our Facebook and Instagram, so you can follow us on there uh, under They Actually Survived. And that's our episode. So anything else for you? No, thanks for <laughs> listening. You know, try to survive. <laughs> thanks so much.